So ahead of the 2012 Paralympics in London, Channel 4, the UK broadcaster for the event, released an ad called Meet the Superhumans. It's a stunning advertisement championing para-athletes. The Paralympics are often viewed as a lesser version of the Olympics, and Channel 4's aim was to change the perception around the games and disability as a whole. It's as powerful as, as it is poignant. It's spine-tingling in a way that Nike ads are. Channel 4 adopted the same messaging for the 2016 Paralympics with the ad called We're the Superhumans. Now, both these campaigns were immensely popular, won numerous awards too. But from the research Channel 4 conducted in the disabled community ahead of the 2020 Paralympics, the message they received was essentially that there was a need to lower the pedestal. Amber Kirby, the marketing director of Channel 4, spoke of how they all essentially said, yes, we can, but also no, we can't. Channel 4 received this feedback and implemented it for their advertising for the Tokyo Games. Their campaign wasn't superhuman, it was super, full stop, human. The promos focused on the human sides of the para-athletes and what their lives are like outside the sport. It's powerful, but just in a very different way. And it's very real. In a similar vein, I believe that women's sports content needs to evolve too. We need to move away from always portraying female players as social justice warriors campaigning for equality. Why is the focus of every documentary on women's sport always centered around a comparison to the men's game? Why can't they just be about the stories, issues, and people unique to the sport? Why is the focus always so big picture? Why can't producers narrow their focus? Welcome to Through Another Lens. I'm your host, Shubhi Arun, and today we'll be talking about the narrative of women's sports content and why it needs to be changed. with me Adriana Werins. Adriana is a reporter with the Sports Gazette, formerly a youth player with Bayern Munich. Adriana, great to have you here with us. Hey, thanks for having me. And we've also got Radha Gupta, Radha from India who runs an incredible YouTube channel called She Talks Ball, which is all the stories about women in sports with content, coverage, conversation. Radha, good to have you with us as well. Thanks for having me on, Shubhi. It's nice to be on with you and Adriana. So guys I'm going to so when we initially set out to have this chat we were going to base it around the UEFA documentary Equals but we kind of changed tack after watching a few episodes because it was quite monotone. Um Adriana can you just I want to understand from you what did you feel when you were watching Equals and what about it just felt very boring to you for lack of a better word. Yeah, maybe I can start with like what I expected from this series. Um I mean with the name you expect like to see how women's football has progressed and also in comparison to the men's game obviously. Um I mean the Euros have been really big not only in um not only in England but also in the whole world I think and how people look at it. But yeah, I expected definitely expected more behind the scenes footage. I expected emotional interviews, um, especially from the German and the England side. 
I expected um, maybe behind stories on, I don't know, what happened in the in the changing rooms. I mean, often you don't really get there with the, the access uh, you have. And I think the women's football in general is a very accessible sport for fans and the um, the players really give a lot of time to to the fans um, even after the games so I expected a lot of that to in this documentary but in the end it was more like I don't know I would describe it as more generic experience um, because we heard about like some of the players' backstories. Some of them were like really good players, the top players, and others are like more up-and-coming players. So I think that was a good part uh, about the documentary. But on the other side, yeah, I definitely expected more more emotion. I think the only time that I felt something was uh, one of the the last episodes when we saw Leah Williamson um, shortly after the final and. Um, um, like how her reaction was and I think that's exactly what should what this yeah documentary should have been about but yeah didn't not really reach in the end I think it's so interesting you brought up this point about the accessibility in uh women's sport and but that doesn't seem to translate when it comes to documentaries right in the sense it still seems that there's a disconnect with what the sport actually is and what we're seeing when you put a camera in front of it Definitely, yeah. I think, um, I mean, in general, we haven't seen a lot of or high quality documentaries um, for women's football, not as like big Netflix production. I really hope that we see something like that in the future. I mean, more recently, we've seen um, a documentary coming out about Alexia Puteas, the currently the best football player in the world. Um, but then I realized it was only available in Spain and Amazon, like in Spanish speaking countries. And I was really confused and also a little bit angry that I could not like watch it from here. There was turned out really difficult to actually get like access to watch it. And I think this is also one of the problems that you, they aren't really marketed really well when there are documentaries out. And I think in general that also, like, you can see it with different, uh, with similar things in the um, media covering women's sports. And I think this definitely has to change. It has to be better marketed. It has to have bigger platforms to also, yeah, develop on this side. As a member of the Vivian Miedema fan club, I take offense to you calling Alexia Pute as the best player in the world, but. We can move on from that. Um, rather, I'm going to come to you. Do, do you also think that we have a problem with some of these content being just maybe too big picture and not really lacking some of the focus which women's football requires? Yeah, you know, I, I do echo Adriana's thoughts. I think there was maybe 30 seconds within all those six episodes where Alex Scott was like, we don't want to see role models. We want to see real models. And like those 30 seconds for me, I was like, I need those 30 seconds as 30 minute episodes and six, seven of those episodes. Because um, as a viewer, it almost, I almost feel cheated that you expect me to just enjoy generic footage about wow, equality, yay. But I want to see much more than that. So I, again, I, I was disappointed that they've gone so big picture and you can, you can touch upon big picture. That's how you usually introduce things or that's how you set context. But it's important to dive in, not just not just have lateral growth, but also have, you know, vertical growth in the sense where 
a person leaves the experience feeling satisfied and feeling more informed or or more knowledgeable or more aware and at least more content that they've consumed something that was new to them so for me i i just i felt disappointed almost that uh they expected me to be happy with just six episodes of someone saying yeah well we're here for equality and then that's about it like i know you're there for equality who isn't right but i want to see what else is in it for you and really i want to see the the smaller nuances that we don't see or hear talked about often so yeah that was a miss for me yeah it, it really did feel like a missed opportunity right because it was such a great tournament you have so many great stories throughout and what you got was so surface level uh, in the sense of and i think the thing which came to me was who is this documentary towards or who which is the audience they are trying to please are they trying to get you know like the hardcore fans give them a more inside look into the women's game are they trying to get the casual fan who is trying to you know maybe after the euros has started following the game a little more or are you just trying to you know pique the interest of someone who doesn't really care about uh, women's football um so rather who do you think when people set out to make documentaries you know for women's sport and women's football in particular is there a specific audience they should focus on you know what this might be a bit unpopular opinion but i think they should focus on just the masters right and i'll give you the example of drive to survive or even breakpoint that's just come out like my parents don't give like you know a, even a little bit of importance to watching tennis we've never grown up watching tennis but they enjoy breakpoint because you get to see lives of athletes drive to survive like my school my college everyone's gathered in a room watching the sunday f1 races just because they were converted into fans by the thrill and the adrenaline that the the episodes provided so i think to to target the masses the unknown masses you need to have as adriana mentioned like high quality production you need to have a very intensely thought thought through script and what your outcome is going to be and i think it, when you reach the middle average area of the spectrum that becomes the casual fans peak their interest after the after the tournament and you know this is sort of carrying their momentum forward and then you have like the other end of the spectrum where it's hardcore fans like adriana and myself and we we expect more so then you you can't target us if you're going to just provide average content right so i think if if i were to have like an ideal docu series or documentary made for women's sports i would like it to emulate drive to survive or or breakpoint where you really get the person invested within you know one night of binging it like that would be awesome yeah completely agree uh and a bit of shameless self promotion uh on through another lens we've done an episode reviewing breakpoint uh so just check us out tell us what you think um and if like radha's parents you too were absolutely obsessed with it um but i'm going to come to you adriana now with you know what radha just said about appealing to the masses and i think that is so true because if you look at some of the viewership figures right now which you're seeing in women's football they're perhaps the highest they've ever been and it's a trend which is only going to go up um in fact radha i'd seen a video you put out on your youtube channel uh referencing this deloitte report about the numbers behind that and i had a look at that report and it really blew me away so there is a market there there is an audience there people are willing to attend games you know live watch it when it goes on so doesn't it seem like the most obvious thing for someone like netflix to say you know what we've or like amazon to say we've done like four all or nothings like going into the 
Arsenal men's, Tottenham men's team, like Man City. This year, we're going to, you know, we're going to put our cameras into the Barca Femeni team or the Chelsea team, you know, and just see what makes them the champions they are. And I like that just seems like the most obvious thing. But like, why is that not being done? Maybe the problem is that they still not see that this women's football can be profitable. Um, I mean, in the leagues, we can see that they are still like, they are still losing money, most of the clubs. But I think the, the focus has to really shift to see like long term uh, planned in the future that the audience is there. Women's football is getting more and more professional. It is still not there. There's still a lot of situations that aren't like, the best um, yeah like we have seen in the WSL with the frozen pitches I mean that is totally unprofessional and we women's football is not there at like the high profession we are not there we have don't have the same yeah same possibilities as uh, as a men's football yeah and um, do you think that perhaps that it's an opportunity to market the sport but it's also a way to you know shine light on some of the issues in the sport. Um, I know you've written this article about, uh, you know, why are so many female players getting injuries, right? Uh, which has a lot of fascinating detail. And I think, you know, if if I saw, like, let's say, an episode of that in a documentary or in a series about, because it's such a strange thing about why they're getting more injuries, that what is it about the women's game that makes them more susceptible to this injury? Um, which has completely wrecked the title ambitions of my team Arsenal this year uh, with Beth Mead and Vivian Miedema. So why can't, like, why can't we shine more light on this? And what do you, like, I want to just talk to you a little bit about that issue with the ACL and stay there for a bit. What did you find out when you were researching that about why are more female players getting ACL injuries? Yeah, I mean, um, I got more into the topic because I have a lot of friends who play football and who already suffered from ACL injuries, some some of them multiple times. And I mean, I've also realized that it takes can take up to one year until you fully can, can be back on the pitch. So yeah, that's one important year of your lifetime that you miss out on not playing football. Um, so I talked to Dr. Katrin Krieger from St. Mary's University. Um, she also specializes in women's football boots and said that is already one of the issues then that um, can have an effect on injuries. Um, if you wear the right football boots, because all the football boots or most of the football boots on the market right now are designed for men. The, um, especially with like when you think, think about the studs, um, like how heavy the boot is and, um, like the shape of your foot. Um, it's not designed for uh, female feet. Um, at the same time, we have the anatomy in general. Uh, women in general are more prone to ACL injuries, knee injuries, and while men are more um, prone to hamstring injuries. And then we also have, of course, the equal play factor that um, most of the women's teams don't have access to, like um, grass pitches all the time, that they have to play on artificial grass, that they don't have the facilities to do more workout training, to put do strength, strength and conditioning training. And yeah, I think in, in general, this is has really picked up all the, the conversation during the last year when 
all really a lot of the top players got injured. But at that time, of course, it's already too late to talk about we need more, more need more research, we need more um, scientific research for that. So I think we are just getting started. We're just in the process there. As in other parts of women's football, I think that there hasn't been really that conversation before. And it, it, it's very, very hard to say that, but it always have to, has to happen. And then after that, it can change. And um, not like you, you can't do anything to prevent it. You just, yeah, it has to happen. And then you have to react. Yeah. Yeah, when I read your article, there was the detail about how if you Google uh, a female football, women's football boot, you get a men's football boot in pink color, which like, mm -hmm. I just saw that and I was like, how aren't more people talking about this, right? Why isn't this such a big deal that manufacturers aren't making shoes specifically for female footballers? Um, Radha, do you think there are any other issues which, you know, we should be shining more light on using the power of content really that more issues which aren't talked about enough uh so i was actually discussing this with someone earlier and just in a broader sense of things i think one thing that anybody you and i anyone watching this listening to this can do very simply is to uh be aware of the language you use while describing sport you mentioned while creating content right like for example we're creating this podcast on sport it's important for us to reference me as a football fan or me as a women's football fan or me as a men's football fan. For example, I had this interaction with a journalist at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup who said, oh, you know, I'm a big Indian football fan. And I said, well, I didn't see you at the first couple of match days when the, you know, the Indian women's team was playing. And he said, oh, yeah, well, I, I only follow the men. So then I said, you know, then you're not an Indian football fan. Um, another big example in cricket is using the term batsman because it's been a gentleman's game and a male-dominated sport for so long, batsman is now what the commentators use for the women's team as well. Whereas you can just say batter, you just remember that one word for the rest of your life and you create like perfect gender-neutral content and you're very aware of what you're saying and you're also making the viewers aware of how you perceive the game and how they should uh, subconsciously then perceive uh, women's sports and men's sports in an equal light. So I feel like in terms of content, in terms of conversation, being aware of your language, being aware of how you articulate it and what kind of terminology you use. It's very small, but this is the kind of thing that has a ripple effect in terms of how men's football and women's football are seen equally. And it's not football and women's football because that instantly makes women's sports an afterthought. And then that sort of results to, you know, bigger and bigger decisions in terms of policy, in terms of viewership and investments that should or should not go into the women's game. So I always, you know, sort of preach that language is the first step for anyone to sort of get on the train of equality in sport. Yeah, that, that's an incredible point. And I think it's why I think ESPN, Crick Info is also just, you know, they've stopped using the word batsman and all the, the site wide and all their social media. It's all batter now, which, which is a massive step, right? And I think it's a step which should have been done a long time ago. And, um, so that's I think you're so right about the language and I want to ask you what, what was it like what was the under 17 world cup like you know covering it what did you notice about the players the media there uh, and the current landscape so uh, <laughs> to be very honest uh, India is also guilty of sports washing and there's just no way we can deny that you know us hosting the women's Asian cup as well as the under 17 world cup is just 
sort of to get those big ceremonious tournaments out there and for the politicians to be happy. But, you know, for me personally, it was a chance to get into the scene because for me to cover a tournament in Europe right now is not very feasible. So for it to come to my backyard, it gave me exposure and in a great way, exposure to things I could have never even imagined existed, right? Both good and bad. So, I mean, I was most often the youngest and one of the very few females in the press rooms or in the pre-match, post-match press conferences in the mixed zone. So for me, instantly, like, you know, an under-17 women's player wanted to come talk to me as opposed to, like, this old man whose first question to her was, what is your name? So if you're a journalist at a Women's World Cup and you're going to ask them, hey, what is your name? What kind of impression does that put on us as a nation, us as a profession, which are digital journalists or reporters? So, you know, I felt kind of let down by the people around me because you all you have to do is read the lineup. Even if you have no prior knowledge, like read the handout that's given to you at the beginning of the match. So in that sense, like I really, I and that's when you observe, right, that Football is still very nascent in India and women's football, though, I, I mean, I don't know where that is currently, right? We've been winning the South Asian Championship for ages and ages and now we've been knocked out in the semi-final by Nepal and then Bangladesh also beat us. So clearly we're just trying to um, make short-term goals, which is not very nice, especially as me as a young footballer in India, I really want to see football progress. So for me, the Under-17 World Cup was bittersweet. You know, it gave me a launch pad like never before. It put me on the map and She Talks Ball's first official accred came through that World Cup, which will always be like a, a very sweet spot for me. But yeah, it really exposed me to some realities like journalists asking the players what their name is after they've scored a 90th minute, you know, bicycle equalizer in a third place match. Like that's not easy to do, man. Like do your research. So yeah, I'm... I, I start ranting about that from time to time. It annoys me a bit. No, I think that's very valid. And like you said, right, like players were more willing to come to you because, you know, you knew it and you were a woman in this media room filled with, you know, old men. And I think that's another important point, right? Uh, is there, are there more barriers to entry uh, for female journalists today uh, as compared to those maybe some time ago? You know, that is this is a big reason why we don't see enough really good women's sports content coming through is because there aren't enough opportunities for people to go out there and help some of these players tell their stories. Um, Adriana? Yeah, I think it's definitely getting better in the uh, journalism world, sport journalism world, that there are more females actually reporting on women's football. Um, I also see it when I went to the press box for the WSL matches there, I think even most of them are, are female. So that's really, really cool. Um, it also feels, I think for me, for myself, easier to connect with them than if they're, I don't know, like older white men only sit, sit there. But um, yeah, at the same time, I still wanted to get back to one thing Rada said um, about like changing the language. Um, I mean, there's also this project, um, Correct the Internet, um, where we see, for example, like um, when you Google who has scored the most goals on the international stage and Cristiano Ronaldo comes out for, for football players, but it actually is Christine Sinclair. When you talk about all of football, you have to mention that. So, yeah, I think that is one way to definitely start the change and hopefully this will have an impact. But yeah, I definitely agree that there should be diversity in like the, the newsrooms, in the press box, everywhere to 
yeah, to also see different perspectives on women's football because um, that's what makes it interesting in the end also for, for the readers and the, the public. And that's so, like, the, the point you bring up about, you know, changing the internet. Um, just literally yesterday, uh, Puma, uh, they put out this advertisement about, you know, if you Google who is the captain of the Indian cricket team, it shows you the two men, the two men. They'll show you, you know, Rohit Sharma and Hardik Pandya, but it won't show you Harman Preet Kaur. So I think that is, that was a very powerful advertisement as well, Radha, right? About this similar thing, right? About changing the internet, that why is the first response always, you know, an achievement in the men's field or a player from the men's game? Absolutely. That's exactly what breaking the default is. And the fact that big sporting brands are recognizing that and choosing to have their marketing strategy be that speaks volumes of the kind of impact or the kind of outcome they hope to achieve from this. And the fact that this is the outcome they want. They want to spend their brain power, their resources, including time and money, to put out a campaign that specifically targets saying that, hey, look, the Indian cricket team consists of the senior men and the senior women. And it's high time we speak up about that. So I'm I'm really, really happy that Puma has done that. And I'm one of those people who, like, when a brand does something like this, I have blind loyalty towards them. So until another sports brand comes out doing something better, I'm just going to be one big Puma fan. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to preach for Puma supremacy. But I, I was really pleased with what they did. <laughs> yeah and like that that just shows i think brands hold a lot of power in this too right like i think from just their messaging to their products right like adriana you spoke about in your article right about just creating shoes um can brands be doing more you know to change this conversation or what to what account should they be held accountable now essentially well, I, I definitely agree. I mean, um, as for the football shoes, we, it would be easy. You, you would think the, that just Nike or Adidas that they actually produce sport, uh, football boots for, for women. And I mean, sports boots and, and football boots and yeah, sports shoes in general. I think that, yeah, that's definitely something you would think is easy to do, but, um, yeah, I still still think, as I said earlier, that they maybe they don't see like the the profit side of this. I think that, but at the same time, you you have to look at it from from both sides. If if you don't give the the offer, there won't be an audience for that. So, I actually found this very like still smaller company called Ida Sports. They're producing football boots um, only for, for women and um, uh, based in Australia. And that will probably be my my, ne my next article. I really want to talk to them. But yeah, that is something like um, how, how you can start this conversation and call out the, the big companies. But at the same time, like the big companies, they, they have to react to this. They have to like show show the show the reaction and um, yeah be part of the change in this conversation. So if I can quickly jump in here, um, I just remember like about when I started She Talks Ball in 2020. So just around that time, I spoke to um, this woman from US named Natalie, who had just started a platform called Moolah Kick. And it was basically women's basketball shoes. She was a basketballer herself. And I, I, don't, I haven't been in touch with her. Maybe she still is. 
but she designed uh, basketball shoes specifically for uh, female basketballers and then i sort of forgot about it and when i came back to finding what moola kicks is up to mark cuban has actually invested in it and it's become like a a big brand now so the the fact that you know investors are showing faith in companies like this is huge because i literally like spoke to her when it had 10 followers or 30 followers on instagram and she was like hey can she talks ball put out a post about this and i was like sure i got you and i think somewhere in my archive post it still exists but um, i think it's super super important for not just for brands but for people with influential status in terms of influence or in terms of wealth or whatever it may be to show that um, they they do believe in this product right and that's really when the masses are going to get influenced when an influencer starts to influence absolutely i think i'm going to put links for both these websites in the show notes so if you're listening to it and you are looking to buy these shoes for yourself or someone you know uh these are the places you should go to you know they need our support and we need to be really changing the conversation in simple steps like this right i think that that's all it can start with rather i'm going to come to you go back a bit to the your coverage during the world cup um because you know i think the newer generation of female players coming through now are more aware of social media they're more comfortable in front of the camera and i think they are more willing and more open to talking and you know putting themselves out there and that is surely a good thing right if we're talking about you know for us wanting better content you know just more access where you have players who are willing to you know put themselves out there for that uh, what did you notice about that so should we you won't believe it i mean i was watching live world cup football for one whole month but my favorite part of the day was when i had to run from the media box to like this back alley of the mix zone and all these sweaty players would arrive and i would just stop and have such a lovely chat with them the so like we think that they're media trained so we would actually like i actually asked them like how are you so media trained and they said like we're not i've never received media training but like as you mentioned the fact is that being very active on social media and growing up in that age you are media trained just by by nature right by society by environment so the way they were able to um hold a conversation even after like a shock quarter final exit like referring to the us women's national team when when they had a, a shock exit in, against nigeria in penalty shootouts you know um some of the other teams they just went through the mix zone and went to the changing room said hey look we don't want to chat but the, the the girls from the us they were really really amazing they um broke down their weaknesses they had very articulate answers and already they had um what what they can expect in the next couple of months so what their future looks like so i was really impressed by the the level of articulate um answers that they had and as well as how forthcoming they were right so i spoke to the german team i think lorin bender and mara alber they won some individual awards but they the team came fourth and i said hey can i ask you a couple of questions and she said sure and then she looked at her media manager and he said well she'll answer in german i hope that's okay and i said yeah that's totally fine so you know although we didn't even speak the same language she was more than happy to answer my questions and uh, yeah it, that was like one of the best parts of my whole experience was just being able to catch them walking down the the mix zone and say hey you know what did you think of the match today wow that that's incredible any any interactions with any players which you know come to mind like which really stick out for you in your memory um that's very interesting i think i think the one with mara alba so uh, she won one of the individual awards i can't recall which one i think the bronze ball maybe and um 
I asked her, you know, what what has what has this tournament meant for you and for the team? And you're holding this trophy in your hand, but you know, what what does it signify? And she said that I'm proud of my achievements. I've worked hard to be here, but I'm I'm really upset that our team couldn't go back with uh with you know something to show for it. So um she had a very sort of very aware idea of where she lies within the team as well as uh, what an individual award could mean for her because we've seen you know um a lot of these youth players having won individual awards in 2011 2013 are now the superstars on the face of Arsenal and Chelsea and you know NWSL clubs as well so she does recognize that it could be a launch pad for her but uh, she was she was really really upset that they couldn't get uh, you know they couldn't get on the podium so i think uh, one of that that's a chat that i'll probably remember uh for a long time but look all of them even mia bhuta from us so mia bhuta has an interesting story that right? she has an indian father and so at the beginning of the tournament she came and she sat in the press conference room and she said you know my father came from india to usa when he was 16 and now i'm back at 16 in india to play a world cup so it's come full circle for me it feels like a fairy tale and so i was like in my mind i'm going to follow her throughout the tournament and catch her every time she appears in front of me and yeah she was just a delight to speak to and i'm still in touch with her and her family so yeah you know these are the kind of uh, relationships that you really cherish i'm i'm waiting for the mia bota documentary to come from you <laughs> i'm on it i'm on it i'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking out for that <laughs> one <laughs> um adriana you know when you were, when you were at bayern right and when you interact with some of the players today was there any discussion about media training you know when you were coming through was there any focus on that or you know about how are you going to talk about the game was there any, anything about marketing or was it just you know like it's all about the game really that's a very good question because we actually we never had media any kind of media training i mean i played in the u17 and second team of bayern munich but never during that time where we approached to like have media training give interviews um I think that was also one of the biggest positive surprises um I, I had when I when I came here to England that the even like lower league teams like I don't know tier 6 I spoke to to Brentford they have a media team they have match reports for the for the women's team every every weekend and we did not even have that in the second bundesliga in the uh, second division so yeah that definitely impressed me when I came here and uh, at the same time I think that definitely I mean we're currently in I think a tr- transitional phase for the players and most of them ha- haven't had um experience with social media um in their youth so I think the older players at the moment they they probably still need the media training and in the first teams they also um get some of the media training but I I can speak for Bayern Munich women's team that I still I feel like with some of the video content the club puts out that it kind of feels forced the content mm. and I think that can be made or produced much more genuine so I think there's definitely some some space there some um, potential for the future and at the same time of course use the use the platform the men's teams have um because i haven't seen that in a for a long time for bayern munich and that has changed now in the in the winter break when they had a training camp in qatar together with in the, at the same time with the men's team and they actually produced a video where they played um, football tennis um two players of the women's uh, women's team and two of the men's team and it was really fun and got a lot of clicks 
So, and this is what I can see when I when I look at England, when I look at Arsenal, when I look at Chelsea, the their Twitter accounts they support each other, the men's and the women's Twitter account, and also the the players interact. They have um, a lot more interaction, and that is also like a possibility uh, option how you can get fans from the men's teams to also support the women's teams, which I mean in the end is great for both of them. Uh, that's a that's a great point. And do you think though that the men's team, like you said, with some of the teams in England, right? Like I know, for example, when we talk about Arsenal, whenever Arsenal release a jersey or put out a new piece of gear, the promotional posters will always have like two players from the men's team, two players from the women's team. You know, uh, there is a very close sense of these teams. Kind of, it's not the Arsenal men's team and the Arsenal women's team. It's Arsenal footballers, right? I think there is that. I think. Which you do see a lot more, I think, in some of the better teams in England, uh, and which is surprising for me because I would think that the Bayern Munich team, um, it is, I want to say, marketing-wise, like savvy in a way that they kind of understand this and this German football and the women's football game is so far advanced that doesn't like again this comes back to the same point, right? Like these just seem like the most intuitive, basic things, and them not being done. Um, do you think that? The men's teams need to be doing more to help out in some ways. I mean, they they can they can profit of each other. I mean, as I as I said earlier, we're still not there that um, there is a lot of profit in the women's football clubs, but in the future there's great potential, and the men can help that like, make their process become uh, faster. And um, I mean, also for the like the club in general, and especially for Bayern Munich, they portray the club as like. One big family, but what is a family if you're like um, excluding one part of the family? So I think that yeah, in a in a perfect world, they would just uh, come together, create content together, and um, yeah, support each other. Also, that's what I've seen from um, the, the some of the players from Bayern Bayern Munich that they posted something during the Euros to motivate um, the German team, but um, at the same time the um, women's footballers from Bayern Munich they come to some of the men's games but not the other way around so if the men's fo- football players from Bayern Munich would actually show up at FC Bayern Munich campus that w- would be great for them great publicity I think only um, like some of the like um, big, bigger managers from Bayern Munich or the, the coach Julian Nagelsmann once showed up but from the players I haven't seen anything so far and Rather, you know, we are just a few weeks away from, you know, the women's IPL starting, the WPL. Uh, how do you see, you know, the teams with someone like an RCB or like a Delhi Capitals? Do you see their men's teams, you know, putting their weight behind them? Uh, do you think it will be, you know, a synergy, synergetic approach? Or do you think that they will just be treated as completely separate entities with just very little overlap? So I think the fact of the matter is that men cricketers in India are gods, like a bunch of them. They're very, very highly influential, both in the international setup as well as in franchise cricket. Um, And as for the Women's Premier League, we've seen the the first five teams that have emerged for this inaugural edition. Um, A couple of them, or like three of them, Delhi, Bangalore and Mumbai, are like the same franchise. They are the men's franchise that have now started a women's team. And their Instagram handle, their Twitter handle is the same. It's a common handle. So 
you know that um, it's actually going to be really nice almost a social experiment to see how these teams fare just because a common handle will behave very differently versus an individual handle that has to start from zero followers for example the up team they have to start from zero today and the way they're going to put out content is going to really define how the team's um, social media or fan craze following is going to take place so i really do think the franchises like mumbai delhi bangalore are going to capitalize on their men's team for example we've seen virat kohli and ab de villiers put out a video for the women's team captain smriti mandhana who's just been announced and like instantly you have a god like figure like virat putting out an all the best you got this message the fans are instantly like yeah you know what the women's team is our team so it's very interesting to see how they market the immense players and how they actually you know almost leech off them and i'm not complaining like i i think that should be done because they have that kind of power and capacity um to see what kind of uh, fan following they can bring towards their women's team so yeah i'm personally really excited to how it how it sort of shapes out but as if i was in a position of running one of these clubs i would absolutely leverage the the men and the kind of influence they have over the cricketing masses to um, you know direct traffic towards the women's team absolutely so do you think that you know that clubs if we like cricket football that they should have one social media account rather than one for the men one for the women uh, as you see quite often in football uh, or do you think that they should go down like the rcb route and just one for all yeah you know that's a great question i think like you know a research paper can really be done on this kind of a topic i think if you're going to have separate teams you know again like if you're going to have separate teams name it chelsea men and chelsea women or espn men and espn women because the second you write chelsea and chelsea women or espn and espn w you're enforcing a default right and so that's really what um, what i don't particularly enjoy so for for the women's premier league teams if you're using a common handle i'm all for it but if you're going to start off a separate handle then just ensure that both handles are represented equally where you have the rcb men's player of the year eventually and then you have an rcb women's player of the year so all these small things that are done by the club they might feel like oh it's just once a year we're just giving an award but it really seeps into the masses in terms of how they perceive their teams right so um as for individual handles or same handles i think uh, if done right both can be effective uh, for example there are some teams that you know so essentially how these five teams were formed were the teams were told hey listen bid what you think the women's team is worth and the top 5 bids get the teams so we've seen like very well respected men's teams that bid almost like you know petty change for the women and didn't secure a team and so instantly i'm like you know this team's top management doesn't value a women's team as much as they value their men's team and i really would not be a fan of that so these teams are now also under pressure from from the masses from the people who've got eyeballs and a personal stake in the in the whole cricketing setup of india and now the teams are really like you know we're going to bid 1000 crores because that's what we value the women's team and even if it might be under a little bit of pressure i'm very glad that's happening and yeah you know to come back to your social media question i think both approaches done well can pay off uh, but you know i i'm all for a combined handle as well because the the handle already has 10 million followers that follow the men's mumbai indians team they're going to get the women's content on their feed whether they like it or not so you know it's a little bit of a force down your throat but it mm. it starts like that sometimes absolutely you know there's this twitter account it's called gender pay gap bot which basically whenever any company like any corporate puts out something about you know the 
opportunities they give women or something about you know projecting the equality in their workforce this gender media this bot this twitter bot basically quotes it with comparisons of how much the men are being paid at this organization versus how much the women are being awesome. paid and i've never seen like and i remember when that launched the havoc it created was insane so i think in mind i'm like we need to be like i want a twitter bot like that for sports teams you know how much are they spending on their men's team how much are they spending on their women's team right if you think of someone like liverpool uh, i remember when they were at the peak of their like the men's team on the clock when they were winning the champions league the premier league there was an important discussion of yes they're doing all this but they've completely neglected their women's team right like their women's team was is just about now in the wsl and is doing pretty okay but for so long that was just forgotten right or you look at someone like man united has only recently started to you know put money and attention and their backing behind their women's team and they might actually win it all this year so i i think there is this greater need as rather you said that just like shoving it down people's throats like this is it like just kind of removing any sense of option you know taking out that completely so before we wrap up i'm going to ask you guys to recommend some you know creators it can be a youtube channel a journalist or even a filmmaker who you think is doing really interesting stuff in this space right who are some people we should look out for we're talking a lot about you know the content in women's sports who are some content creators we should look out for adriana we'll start with you um well i've recently uh, finished uh, reading beth meets um biography lioness journey to glory um it was ghostwritten by katie wyatt and was very very interesting read and i think it just captured a lot of like what beth meet is like um in a yeah in a very good way and also like all of her struggles because um we, we don't really we haven't really seen that side before of her um like before this euros win um last year she really struggled um obviously with with her mom's illness and also with um like during the, the um, some of the previous tournaments where she wasn't nominated and really that this whole um, journey came came full circle and um led to to her winning the tournament but at the same time now she's she's injured out with an ACL injuries which is obviously devastating for her but yeah definitely a really good book can recommend yeah rather so i have a few things in mind and this might might go a bit off topic but i'm i have to say it anyways so first would be um a social media platform called chief goes bangers uh it's run by mariam she's a canadian college student and um, yeah i've been in touch with her it's sort of very similar to what she talks about is up to so i really connected with her uh, vision and i've been watching a lot of her videos she also brings on some interesting guests i think uh, recently she brought on an expert in acl injuries for women footballers given the rise in injuries we've seen in the last year so her youtube channel would be one to recommend she's on instagram and twitter as well um on a on a documentary level i watched a documentary called no woman no try which is firstly i think a great pun um it's a rugby documentary by um a woman named victoria rush if i'm not wrong and uh, i really enjoyed that it was on amazon prime and uh, finally <laughs> it would be a a bollywood movie it's fiction but it's a great sporting movie called chakte india it's it's my favorite movie 
it's about the Indian women's hockey team and how they overcome hardships and win a World Cup. And uh, yeah, it's just a great watch. So that would be on the fiction end of things. I'm a massive stan of Chuck the India. I think it's just an incredible film. I'm going to put all these recommendations together. I'm going to compile it and I'm going to put it out on socials and I'm going to add links as well uh, in the show notes. So be sure to look out for them and follow Adriana, follow Radha. A lot of fun stuff. They've been covering a lot of interesting stories, pertinent stories, important stories. And um, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for coming on. This was a really interesting conversation, a very important conversation we had. And um, yeah, I hope that after the World Cup, maybe sometime we can get back together again and discuss all that we've seen on and off the pitch. Thanks for having us, Shubhi. It's been a lovely discussion.